Hey, this is Dewey from Pure Pleasure on Jabberjaw Media. I wanted to tell you guys about the Patreon for the show. It's called the Pleasure Seekers Club, and there's two levels. There's the $5 level and the $10 level. And all this is, guys, is to help support the show, help support the cost of putting the show out, um, you know, time spent uh, building the show, hosting costs, travel costs to do the in-person interviews that you guys like so much. Um, it all costs money. And I always try to find the best deal for sure uh, because I do have a day job as well. But having that support on the Patreon is definitely going to help bring more in-person interviews, more travel, more uh, updated uh, graphics, hosting, websites, all that stuff. So, um, And if you like the show, $5 a month or $10 a month really helps out. I know it's kind of uh, an interesting thing with the Patreon when something's already free. Uh, but it is always going to be free. But if you want to support the show a little bit more, I'd absolutely appreciate it. Uh, you can pay either $5 or $10 a month. We'll try to do some special things for the patrons as well as we go. Um, but it's just a way to support the show in a different way. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. That's the most important thing I can ask for. So definitely go over and check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. Once again, that is patreon.com slash Podcast. Sign up today and join the community and help out the show. Keep it growing. And I thank you so much. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with guests about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of The Offspring, Thrice, Rancid, Rise Against, and more. Listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's up, guys? Welcome to the first episode of the second year of Peer Pleasure Podcast. I am your host, Dewey, your host with the most, and we're coming at you still on Adobe Radio and Jabberjaw Media. So glad to be back and for another year in your ear. And uh, this week we have a pretty awesome guest, Mr. Brendan Canty from Fugazi. Now, Fugazi is one of the most influential bands of all time. I don't think anyone would argue that. I, I I was telling Brendan that if I had a nickel for every time a guest told me their biggest influence was Fugazi, it'd be insane. Anyway, uh, so we're really excited to have Brendan on the show. We're really excited to have you guys back for another year. It's not like we took a break or anything. We took 
what, six days off in between. <laughs> we haven't missed an episode yet. So really appreciate having you guys with us, uh, you know, week after week. And we really try hard to bring you the best content we can, uh, both on Adobe Radio and Jabberjaw Media. We've got a lot of awesome stuff coming up this year. But starting it off, like I said, Brendan Canty from Fugazi. And he's done so many things since then. He's been in multiple bands. He's doing film. He's doing score work. He's doing all sorts of stuff, which we talk about in the episode. So I'm not going to get too far into that because I, I want you guys to hear it. So, And I'm going to keep this brief because I want uh, as much on Adobe as I can. And then the rest uh, uncut will be on iTunes just as usual. So I want to talk a quick minute about the Patreon. So we did launch the Peer Pleasure uh, Patreon, the Pleasure Seekers Club which is at patreon.com slash podcast. Definitely go check that out. Get yourself involved. Get in the get in the game, if you will. You know, even if it's a couple dollars a month, um, you know, everything helps. But if you want to do a little more and get some premium content and some merchandise and everything else, we're going to be doing that soon. And, uh, you know, we look forward to having you on. And, and as usual, you know, just thanks for listening and, and making the numbers so great and, and uh, keeping us keeping us afloat. So, uh, we are on purepleasurepodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. And definitely check us out on the socials, Facebook, everything. Everywhere podcasts are available, we are. We're all over the place. So spread the word. Tell a friend. We really appreciate it. And uh, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Brendan Canty from Fugazi. Brendan Canty, uh, welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Awesome. Early early morning chats are my <laughs> specialty. Awesome. Yeah, I'm on the West Coast, so 6 a.m. my time, and I'm, I've been up for two hours already, so I mean, I love getting these done in the morning. It's very rare with musicians. You know, it's usually an afternoon or an evening, but uh, I, I know you're a family man now, and, and uh, you know, you're up with the sun, so... Yeah, yeah. There's a brick wall at seven o'clock usually. <laughs> Today I got to sleep in a little bit. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I have ended up with uh, four kids. And, four uh, kids. They're all just. There's first two are entering. Well, one's in college down in Texas, down at University of Texas. 
studying film, and then the, and then I got a senior. So we're, you know, he's going to be splitting soon too. So the house is getting bigger on a daily basis. <laughs> well, that's good or bad, I guess, depending on how you look at it. But uh, so studying film is that through uh, influence through you as far as what you're doing now with film and, and composing and everything. Um, it. Mm, I don't know how much it influenced. We we talk. We have a lot to talk about. So that's cool. Yeah. I mean, he's at this point far more educated on the history of film than I have ever been. So sure. he, he, you know, we, we have those talks and we, you know, he'll find something on Filmstruck. We, we share a passion for the website Filmstruck. So we just go through the Criterion collection and throw, throw uh, films at each other. Um, so that's, that's great. And he, he, but no, I mean, he's, I, I he started making films on his own um, of, and personal films, you know, with all of his friends, he has this really great, uh, eclectic group of friends and they, they all get together and he would write scripts and make films with them. So he, 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 he took it in a different direction. Everything I've ever done is like purely for the sake of documenting, documenting, you know, Mm -hmm. music and, and people. Um, and then for me, that's just comes like, like directly out of, you know, recording my bands and making, you know, and, and just documenting things that were happening um, in the music scene. So he, he's gone in a totally different way. He's a super, like, you know, written narrative kind of person. Okay. He's much far smarter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the goal, right? <laughs> exactly. We want him to take the ball and run with it a little further than we did. And, and uh, <laughs> you know... And having a dad that's you know super creative and and uh, you know had such an impact on in a lot of ways, but also you know having someone to bounce ideas off of and having, I mean, I, me and my dad get along well with music, and but it's also interesting when you you have your dad as you know someone you can actually in your career that you're going down actually bounce ideas off of and have it be more relevant than, oh, yeah, that was great, son. You can critique things in different ways, and you've been through the ringer with that, and, and that's a unique situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did, you know, I, it, 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 yeah, for sure. I mean, I wish I'm, I wish my dad was around. I could ask him, you know, now now that I'm older enough to, to, to actually have shit to ask him, I'm, I, wish, <laughs> I wish you were around. Um, but... Um, yeah, it's funny. I I actually tried to um, uh, like tried to help him on one of his films. I tried to work with him on one, you know, and do it like, you know, because I do a lot of audio mixing as well, you know, uh, not just for my own stuff, but I I do I compose for other you know filmmakers, and then I also mix whole films, um, and they uh, and so I tried to do that with one of his films, and he was <laughs> such a dick. <laughs> 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 he, he immediately turned into like that asshole director who oh, likes like yes. every little quirky, shitty thing about his his bad audio. <laughs> 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 I was like, I was like, you know what? Fuck you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, son. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Five minutes out, into man. the interview, Brendan calls his son a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a new one. But, man. You know, he's like, you know, he, he knew what he wanted, which is what every director does. You know, every every 
every real director knows exactly what he loves about what he's doing, and he doesn't let some jackass audio technician take it away from him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, have you always been into to documenting things? Like I know, uh, speaking with Ian, he's—I mean, he's curating everything and doing the live series and everything. But I mean, have you always been that way? As far as you know, whether it's journaling or just you know taking notes and and uh, you know throughout your career, have you have you always been that way, or is that something you found a passion for later? No, it was always that day one. I would be like uh, using all you know. We had. Um, just like boom boxes and stuff like that around the house that would, um, that could record. So I, I, you know, and I figured out how to, I went down to radio, we had a radio shack two blocks from our house. So I'd go down to radio shack and I'd buy adapters and all this shit. When I was like, when I was, you know, I guess I was, I guess I was, I want to say like 12 or so. Okay. And I was, I'd buy like adapters and I start, bouncing between these two boom boxes that we had and I figured out that you could actually multi-track <laughs> <laughs> boom boxes. And then they were, you know, as, and then as, uh, um, you know, as I met, you know, and recorded more and started playing more music and, uh, you know, like with key and everything, you know, more like 15 and stuff, we would, we would do, uh, 15 and 16. We, we would do like all sorts of, uh, jokes tapes all the time uh-huh. you know and we had a band called the black light panthers and we we would bounce between the bounce between them and um come up with some really now they just sound like genius but back then they sounded insane. <laughs> they, they sound insane, but they were uh but anyway so yeah so i would i love that aspect of it i love like wiring shit i love technical stuff i like um you know and recording in general back then i found it totally fascinating and then I got, you know, once I got a four track, it was like we were off to the races. And I taped like a ton of live shows, uh-huh. you know. Um, uh, and and also, you know, one of my best friends, Eli Janney, who's now on uh, the Seth Meyer show. He's the keyboardist on the Seth Meyer show, but he was in Girls Against Boys, and um, he was super into it too. And so he. Um, yeah, he would do, he would do, you know, we would always be making radio shows and joke bands and recording. And so, you know, Gee, Mike Hampton, all these people who are like in these serious like bands or whatever, I don't know. At the time, they weren't like serious bands, but they were, they were bands that we yeah. took seriously. Um, but we would all just record and make all these joke, joke bands. And eventually we got like a real to real player and all that but yeah i mean and as far as like like in fugazi i had the little i was like would bring my four track over and like set up the mics on everybody's amp and sit next to me i have the thing next to me so that i could actually record when something happened that i that we liked you know uh-huh. like i would i was always like i you know just uh, i just couldn't imagine not doing that you know and like letting moments kind of go into the ether yeah. yeah, that drives me fucking nuts. When people get together and they do something really brilliant and nobody do- documents it, yeah. <laughs> I, and it's 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 weirdly like anal and stuff. And I'm super not that way, but um, in general, but in terms of like 
you know, I think I feel like I I I feel like I wound up in a in a in a amongst a good creative group of people, and, and whether that was because you're all straight edge or whatever, you know, we had you know, but we were what we were doing for fun was making music and making making bands, making joke bands, making you know, and so that I mean that that was a very creative, exciting time and place to grow up, you know? Yeah. Um, but there, there's, it, yeah, anyway, so, um, but it's also, there's that, there's the documenting aspect, but then there's also the thing is that I actually really enjoy it. I really love recording in uh-huh. general. Yeah. I do it every day now. <laughs> <laughs> Man. <laughs> Well, I, yeah. that's kind of like the the uh, the Beatles released some stuff like that, where it was like all just the the daily just running recordings, like hours and oh. hours and hours. I mean, you yeah. still have all well, that, that stuff? Um, we only have that. No, I didn't. I would not just record for hours and hours and hours. Okay, I got you. I I mean, we do have tapes like that, like for I think in on the Celtic or something like that. Mm-hmm. Jim Cohen was in there, and he was filming us a lot, and so he ran a tape for hours and hours and hours. So somewhere there is, like, you know, whatever, 20 hours of us hanging out in the studio to make, you know, cracking jokes. So um, I haven't made it through much of it, but some of it's pretty funny. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, no, most of the time I would have, you know, I would record, you know, when something struck me. Okay. More. You know, like I'd have everything set up live, mm-hmm. you know, with mics on it, and then we'd be practicing. Um, and as a drummer, you know, you don't get a lot of, you don't get a, a lot of chance to influence things as much as you'd want, you know. So yeah. part of my process was, was that, was if we were all jamming on something and I, it struck me, I would press play and record on my four track and then later on you come back to it and you mix it down and make it sound good and you're like hey this is an idea we had yesterday at, or a week ago at 2 p.m. At, and everybody's like huh that's weird i don't remember that at all and then you then you uh you know and then you can isolate everybody's track and say so oh, you were playing this and you were playing this and you were playing this and yeah it's really really helpful to be able to come up with ideas especially you know coming up with a record at least a fugazi record was a complicated affair yeah they so had to you know they had there were like a million different parts so that was just one way to to get them to to, to kind of like mine i mean it was something that was already there something like low-hanging fruit things that we were already coming up with you know yeah like in our that were in our comfort zone um and then yeah, and then otherwise, like, the only way, other way I would, like, influence is, like, I felt like I had to, I would have to go home and, like, write something, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'd come in, like, with a cool part. Like, not everybody had to do that because they were, they had guitars in their hands, you know? Yeah. But I was, I would go home and try to write something and bring it in for, for you know, the next day's practice. Just a, something to monkey with. Yeah, and so you wrote, you, you, I mean, as a multi-instrumentalist, you wrote, a lot of stuff for Fugazi, didn't you? On, on, I mean, yeah, beyond I mean, drums. Yeah, we all. Yeah, we all did. I mean, as a, I mean, I don't. I, I would never say that I wrote more than anybody else at all. Sure, but but I would constantly bring in like um, 
because I felt like if I didn't, like I wasn't contributing mm-hmm. at all. Like I'd just be sitting there <laughs> playing, playing, you know, playing drums. And also there's the times in a band practice, like anybody who has had a band knows there are days when you show up and you're supposed to be writing and it's like torture. Yeah. You know, if you don't, if you don't have something to work on and you know, you're just like treading water for an hour and a half or two, it's like, to me, like a nightmare. So I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'll go ahead and, you know, at least have this in my back pocket. If we, you know, run through some ideas and everybody's just staring at each other, let's, let's try, you know, let's here's, here's, let's try this. And it would be oftentimes like, you know, something that I set up, you know, something I recorded on the four track or eventually the eight track at home and eventually Pro Tools at home. But the, that was like, um, a far too complicated idea is what, generally speaking, I would make something that's far too busy and complicated. Like it would have like 20 parts to it. And then it would go, then I'd bring it in and, and, and they'd go, they'd go, well, why don't, you know, and then they, then they would like find the pieces out of it that, that worked, uh-huh. you know what I mean? That they, that turned them on. It was the way that it goes in any band, but they would find a little thing that is like, well, why don't we do this? You know, we repeat this and then it transitions, you know, then we can do, and then we just start doing what we do is like just arranging things. That's what we did. That's what we spent a lot of time doing is just like putzing around and throwing, you know, naming. I mean, you, you've been in a band, but you name, you make a part you love. It's just a part. Yep. Name it. And you put put the put that name up on the wall. <laughs> yeah, working title. <laughs> working title. And some of them make it to the to the record, and some of them don't. But you you know, then you just kind of like put pieces together until so you actually have a, a song that, that everybody shrugs and goes, "Yeah, oh, I guess that's pretty good." Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, that that was that was part. That's pretty much my contribution. Was always like. Um, you know, bringing in these, you know, because basically my process at home was like I'd make, I'd make like a drone of some sort and then just start playing around with these, this, the, with the, um, relating to a, to a drone. So they, mm-hmm. they, 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 they just, you know, they end up being like kind of way more complex and like I say, busy. So, yeah. Then, and- uh, and and eventually, you know, the, like, like D, I remember D once he was like, he's like, you know, I have to sing over this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Oh yeah, I totally forgot. Like one thing Fugazi forgot to do, like ninety percent of the time, is write with vocals in mind. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It was like they would just, it would just end up being like really way too much shit. And then, then he's like, I had to put a vocal on this. And so then it would have to get reworked again. <laughs> so, so you basically anyway. laid out a buffet and they could pick what they wanted from it and, and then take it kind of, kind of thing where you just laid out so much material. And that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, but that, that would happen. That would, ha- yeah, but yeah, that does the two different processes. Yeah, that was, that was, I would bring in like a really gunky, like complicated, <laughs> proggy kind of uh-huh. thing, <laughs> and they would pull it out and make them into songs, basically, you know, or make, make take bits of it, and make them into songs. But then eventually, once even once 
what I'm saying is like even it's like a problem even with the whole band because we would then take like make these songs that were became incredibly complicated anyways because we were just writing them as instrumentals I mean for the most part we would write them as instrumentals and they would become these really com- complex affairs and then at that point when Guy was meant to put vocals on it he's like or Ian too Ian was like that he's like you know I can't uh He's like, we got to build some room in these back into these songs, and so then we would have to actually like space them out and have, uh, you sure. know. Anyway, <laughs> you know, you've been there. Yeah, of course. And but my question on that is, did you? I mean, noodling around with more proggy stuff and and just you know being overall creative. Did you write anything and bring it to practice that had effects on it or anything else? I know you guys didn't use. It was basically like guitars plugged straight in amps. Like, did you yeah. did you write things with pedals or effects at all that you brought in? You know, to either try yeah. to put in. Okay, how did that go? Oh, that it tried to put in, or or, or like like you know, um, you know, I really want some delay on this. I really want some of this. You know, that's not created by you know using using your hands on the actual instrument. Was that ever brought yeah. up to where hey, well, let's try this, and it never happened. Well, gee- I think, uh, well, I guess Key and the band, all he ever used was distortion. That's true. Yeah. But now he uses tons of shit now. Um, so, I don't know. You know, I think there's... Uh, I, mm, the only time that... Uh, no, it never really happened in that that the, that the weirdo recording kind of made its way into the band, except for there were a couple times when I used another, like, like a drum machine uh-huh. and stuff. And that, and um, uh, and and that's when we started like bringing in a second drummer. When Jerry Busher started playing with us live, he was our roadie, and we would set him up for a couple songs. And it was, uh, and that that kind of worked its way in. But no, in terms of like guitar effects and something like that, you know, it's funny. It's like in the in, as far as this in the studio, we would do all sorts of shit. But mm-hmm. like mostly, it was like. Mostly, it was kind of pretty much. Um, you're right. I, you know, I've never thought of that. Like, why didn't we get a reverb pedal or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something Ian and I talked about first off because I I said, you know, it seems like everything that you do, you put some kind of a limitation on at the beginning. Like, I'm not going to do this. We're only going to do this. And I I kind of asked him about if does he do that for the the challenge or is it something you know like and he said you know which I've heard before I like to you know paint myself into a corner and work my way out you know um that's where I where I was going with that because I I I mean I always admired that too looking at it as as me being a project that I mean it was just everything there was made by instruments there's not a bunch of you know tricks going on um but you know that's that's one thing that that I was curious on because you know well, being other writers, there was a strong bias against bullshit back then. Yeah. I mean, you you have to remember, like, if you put too much reverb on a vocal, people would call you out on it. In a, now it's like that's all you hear It's mm-hmm. like shit ton of reverb on everything. Yeah, um, but back then it connoted like you know just straight up bullshit, and everybody would like. Oh, that's so, che- you know, and the, like the worst thing you could do is be cheesy, you know, yeah. which totally makes sense. <laughs> do you remember when people had taste? Yeah. Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It was definitely yeah, a different he, time. It was diff- It was so different, right? Yeah. So there was the uh, and and the other thing is like being in a band that you take seriously is uh, you know it's a magical thing. Honestly, like if you take if you can if you have a group of guys that has its like own internal like um like uh, aesthetic, you know that mm-hmm. and not not like we have a not not so much that we have a unified aesthetic, but you have an aesthetic that like each individual has their brings their their own circle to it. And, you, and the Venn diagram is big enough that you can actually create, you know, that the space between us all is, um, is enough that you can actually create a, 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 a music uh-huh. <laughs> for the long term. It's, uh, you know, that, that's a magical thing. Hold on one second. I'm sorry. Okay. No me. problem. Uh, let me just move this. Uh, it's my, my partner, Christoph, going, trying to get through. Sorry, I should have put this. There should be a way to block calls from coming in when you're doing a podcast. <laughs> there should be a podcast, doing a podcast button. Like, yeah, airplane uh, mode and podcast mode. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense, you know, because they are already doing that shit. Right? <laughs> there, there has to be one, but it's not called podcast. I'm sure it's called something more. But anyways, um... Anyway, so, so there's, I think there's there's just um, like it, I don't I don't like look at it. I mean, I never looked at the I never looked at the uh, I you know this is like the first time I ever thought in my life, oh my god, we're really we we set this limitation on what we could have done by not allowing pedals into the band, you know? Yeah. Like there was, <laughs> like I think things like forest pedals and all that, you know, and reverb and stuff like that. That was reserved for like, uh, you know, like at that time, uh, the music we were making is somewhat reactive uh, to the larger, you know, simple minds, big country, like all the big stuff that was happening. Mm-hmm. Was ha- there were that was all guitar music, right? It was all guitar music. It was all like, you know, and it had tons of reverb and chorus and all that stuff. And I just don't think that. I think just try. I'm really trying to piece it together, but I think that, like, we weren't that. You know, yeah. I mean, we were a lot of things, but we weren't that. I mean, we, I, you know, not that I just liked that stuff. Not that I loved Simple Minds, but I mean, it's like so not what we were doing, and it's so not. Um, like when you're, when you take yourself seriously as a band, you know, you, one thing you're like, one thing you do is you reject a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you realize the landscape you're playing music in. You realize that there are people out there like you who are, who are also making music and taking it seriously. And there's some people that you super respect for the way that they do it. And, and, and there's certain people that you reject completely not because they do it poorly, but because they there's like no way that's who you are. Like there's just no way you can be simple minds or <laughs> dismissed or whoever sure. whoever it is uh, is happening at the time. And this is not a knock on them at all, but it's just not who you are. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And so so like that to me is like uh knowing knowing that about yourself and and constantly i mean that's one thing i actually 
it, it's interesting because when you when you when you're in a band, you do end up spending a lot of time rejecting things. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then and it you know at some point, you know, I realized about like ten years ago or so. I mean, I was playing in bands, but I wasn't like taking it like I wasn't like deep in it or anything like that. Yeah. So I was much more like a fan again. Of like, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. I kind of like that. Have you heard blah blah blah? <laughs> you know, suddenly, suddenly, suddenly the uh, the sort of like loose, you know, uh, just following bands that just show up on your radar as some weirdo band that's on tour, and you know, and suddenly you're like, oh, you know, and it's, it's the you know, it's just much more a much much more lightness about yourself or myself there was there was a much more light much more lightness about myself uh you know um in regards to how much um music now having said that i don't it's not like i wasn't making my life you know to to like follow these bands i wasn't but it was uh it was definitely a change you know yeah Well, well what was it like going through i mean uh you know rolling down the road with this band that was, you know, gaining momentum, um, you know, there's a whole movement around a song from a previous band that's now following, like, you know, to this day, like, looking back at it now, you see the influence and, and, and how far it really reached. But at the time, were you seeing were you seeing these things happen? Were you Did you guys know you had something special? I mean, did, was it something that uh, then maybe turned and said, there was more pressure towards the end, like, okay, we have to, you know, keep this in mind, or was it something that just stayed true, you know, kind of put the blinders on to the success part of it to where there wasn't any pressure? Um, well, it, I mean, I never felt like, I mean, I never personally felt like we arrived where we, to where we were going, you know? I mean, we were always kind of halfway up the hill uh-huh. as what. For the whole life of the band, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I mean, now it's easy to say, oh, we had, you know, the world was our oyster. Yeah. <laughs> hindsight, yes. In hindsight, yeah, and it was. I mean, there was we 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 were doing everything we wanted to do in the way we wanted to do it, and we were, you know, you know, very much, you know, respectful and in love with each other, and we. You know the process. We had our we had a nice, you know, a lovely routine worked out so that we could practice three days a week. You know, for four hours at a time, mm-hmm. and um, you know everything. And, and we would go on the road, and it was very easy to, you know, people would show up, which is huge. Yeah, but 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 you know, I but it. I don't know. I think like part of it. I'm sure Ian said this, but like part of our process was who we are is like the humility aspect of it is tantamount to keeping your sanity. You know, you have, you have to be able to say like, you know, that Joe, that show sucked or, or like, you know, or like, you know, I mean, there was only like, like, I think our standards were high enough that it was like, we were not always, um, we were not like patting ourselves on the back, like every two seconds. Yeah, uh, we like every you know we said we we said 
we we said, okay, well, every time we play in D.C., we have to have a new song. And so we always had to be working to make a new song. And we always had to be working in general, like, to make records and to write and all that business. And that's, like, to be honest, like, that's, like, when I think about the things that made us who we are, I mean, I think that, that the, the it all kind of channels through the music. And that we were, like, you know, we were judging ourselves on whether or not we came up with some, because we were all developing, like, musicians. It was like, you... You gauge, you know, you gauge yourself, you judge yourself on the quality of the thing that you're producing, mm-hmm. you know, musically, and so that that process usually happens when you're writing and recording, or mostly writing. Mm-hmm. Like you're writing and you get somewhere with something, man. You came home and you were like, you write a song, and I'm sure you've been through this too. He's like, you, if your job is to do to write songs, like doing that well makes your day and if and doing it poorly ruins your day (laughs) sure sure so you know when you come when you don't produce something or you don't do anything you just you just you know you're you it's depressing Mm -hmm. so um and i've talked to like eddie better and people like that and they say the same thing you know he's like you know i i yeah it's like if you're not doing what you do every day you know that's that energy gets turned in on itself and makes your life very, very ugly. So when I look back at all of this stuff, I, I think about like um, the way that I, the only way to look at it and have it make sense is to look at it through the, the music itself. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we were focused on. And then once that was done in the writing stage and you had this thing that you were super proud of and into then you could take it out and like really make it make sense and make it even better on the road and deliver it on the road and uh, in um, like a more visceral way mm-hmm. and like that to me that process and so that process is, is is what it was all about and then you end up like you know does this every once in a while somebody says hey you know there are 16,000 people here today and I you go Wow, we've never played in front of sixteen thousand people, and then park it in front of your head, and you'd say, "Yeah, we, wow, we must be getting somewhat popular here in Pontiac, Michigan." You yeah. know, <laughs> Hamtramck loves us. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you, you like kind of wake up. You're like, you're like, oh, we just did, you know, three nights at uh, the Palladium. Like, wow, that's pretty. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so you know, those there's those there's a demarcations where you do, you know, every once in a while you do, like, you know, you say, oh, shit, you know, or else you, you know, the, the other thing that I really, um, when I look back on it now, like, I'm super happy about is that, um, and I don't, I'm not sure if everybody focuses on this, but, like, we were, like, hell-bent on creating, like, the independent distribution of records, too, like, Discord, and this is all stemming from Discord and the relationships that Ian built up with John Loader and Southern Records over in England, uh-huh. but they were, but, you know, we had a completely independent, you know, manuf- manufacturing base and, and distribution base, and so... When Fugazi, after a while, we were selling like two or three hundred thousand records. It's like you could actually like, like, um, create like 
um, like an icebreaker, you know, into stores mm-hmm. for for other for for other Discord records and for other labels. Like it actually really worked to kind of suck other bands along with you down this this distribution pipe, and you could get like you know younger um, and and smaller bands into stores because when they bought like you know when they bought like you know a hundred Fugazi records they would buy you know branch manager records or um you know other other bands and so that and that created a really um i mean to me like that i i i think that that created the system that really i mean not that we were the only big selling band at the time but i think just maintaining our independence like really helped that that distribution chain a lot yeah and i mean making you know it's, it's I know it's not about money, but making the most you can off what you're doing. You're not paying, you know, you're not just getting your mechanical royalties. Like you're, you're, you know, able to have more control over everything and then make a living off something you created a hundred percent. Like it's, it's just seems yeah. like the way to go without the machine, you know? And, and that's, that's something I didn't think about on that side of it either was how, I mean, influential the music was, of course, but on the the business side of things, like in, in opening up the doors like that. I mean, it really did. I mean, yeah. How many how many records has Fugazi sold at this point? Do you guys? I don't know. Like, I, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's somewhere upwards of four million. That's insane. That's absolutely yeah. insane. Yeah, it's a lot, and it's it's awesome. And you know, the other thing, but a, a lot of the sales have happened since the band stopped playing, you know, I mean, like, all kudos to Mackay, because he, he basically, you know, kept, he's kept all the records in print, uh, and keeps the machine going, keeps his business going, keeps, you know, he keeps it, he's managed not to kill the host, basically, like, I think that's, you know, one thing also that would, that happens when you, when you go for a straight mechanical deal with like a major label you know you 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 run the risk at any point in time of your that that your stock is not going to be available anymore i mean now there's digital and that's a different thing but it's not really that different like if it's not if a record label is not like putting out your records and functioning you know if there's not i don't know to me it's you know it the, the whole thing would have died away along time ago out of just sheer disinterest if it was a Mm -hmm. if we were on a major label but ian is very religious about um keeping the channel keeping the records in print and paying everybody i mean he really like twice a year we still get royalties um down to the penny you know fantastic no it's insane i mean mean, yeah and and it really, you know, um, and they're still, you know, they still sell, the records still sell, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, God bless him because he really, um, I think he, there's, he's, he's really, I mean, not, not, not that nobody else does it, but I don't know anybody who does it like him. So, yeah. Well, that yeah. time, that whole time was unique. I think a lot of the music from that time will be timeless, especially Fugazi. And, and, you know, I don't think you're going to see a lot of that going forward. It's just so much stuff coming out. I mean, I think that time was one of the last 
really magical times in music where it was just seemed so real and true and you were buying a package like you were buying when you bought the record you're buying the the beliefs and ethics of the band you were buying the sounds of course and then you were buying like the the general idea of what the band was i mean it was like you were buying stock in it you know versus yeah. just picking up something to to work out to you know i i, I hear you but I, I also don't think it's the last time it's ever gonna happen i think i think honestly it happens every day and then it just doesn't happen to us you know i mean yeah. i think we're older we have kids and you know, this like there, there kids. There's there's bands out there every day working their asses off and creating their own community, um, and and living within their own ethos and letting it be known what they're doing and and being respected by an in, increasing amount of fans. I don't think it's as easy to exist as it was because you can't sell stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. but I do think that, like, from what, what I can tell, um, you know, as, Bo, as Bowie says, the kids know, you know, they're quite aware of what, what they're going through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, they know, they, they have their scene. That was that, who was it? I think Robert Hunter was the one who said that about the Grateful Dead. He goes, somebody said, don't you, you know, don't you wish it was still around? He goes, yeah, it's all, he said, hey, it's all still happening. It's just not happening to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, fuck yeah, that's so true, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I, I was joking the other day uh, about this, but I, I've done, you'll be episode, I think, uh, 52, like you'll be my year episode, uh, one year episode. Um, but if I was a Coke fan, like I really enjoyed Coca-Cola, there's that whole joke, Jinx, Poke, owe you a Coke. If I went through every episode almost, with any band that I have interviewed and I asked them what was their biggest influence. And right after I said it, if I said Fugazi, it would be a jinx situation almost 90% of the time. It's outrageous. Like, you know, even, uh, you know, talking to, uh, Brian cook from Russian circles. I'm not sure if you've heard that band, but they, he grew up on Hawaii. I grew up in Alaska and both of us basically chimed in that, you know, Fugazi was one of the main, bands that that brought us in and and for him it was one of the few bands that actually came over to hawaii and yeah. uh for and me we too played anchorage, <laughs> we played anchorage too are you from yeah. anchorage yeah yeah uh, that yeah that's absolutely yeah oh shit. yeah dude and, and that's something i was i was trying to get together it was with buddies of mine was trying to get a copy of that show so when i talked to Ian, i could say hey i noticed you don't have anchorage i found it but when I said that, he's like, "Well, not till last weekend. We found it." It's <laughs> like, "God damn it! <laughs> Just take the wind out of the sails, you know." But it was you guys. It was Pantera, Ozzy, White Zombie, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's who came to Alaska. You know what I mean? So, and and, and I guess Fishbone and Agent Orange came as well. But as far as influence goes, and like where everybody went, I mean that that was my first time hearing about Fugazi was through that show. Like, cause when someone came to town, you went, you know, it, yeah. I also went and saw white zombie, you know, uh, social distortion was one of my first shows. Like, uh, you know, I bet, I bet all that, I bet that we went up there because golden voice brought us. I mean, they were like, you know, they, they helped us facilitate that. Yeah. I remember they did all those shows. My high school, yeah. shitty pop punk band open for bad religion because I called golden voice every day. Yeah, and, 
Yeah. At the Egan who, Center who, where you guys played. Who would you talk to? Would you talk to Paul? Or was it who would who would you call at Golden Boys? I don't remember. It was so long ago. I would literally call up a, I think it was a girl. I Oh yeah. I would basically just call Golden Voice and uh, a security guard buddy of mine at the Egan Center kind of told me who to who was working the shows. I don't remember the name, but I called yeah. we tried to get on with Green Day and they're like, Yeah, it's gonna happen and then they gave it to some other band at the last minute and then so Bad Religion was coming through and so I called and called and called and and I literally had that big brick cell phone in my locker at school <laughs> thinking I was a badass. <laughs> waiting for the call from Golden Voice, and it didn't come until I got home. So I'm literally like carrying this phone around all day, and then my mom gets the call. And this of was course. we were literally like seniors in high school, and it was the coolest experience ever. And then that's what really spawned us like, we could do this. We could actually do this. Not with this band, but we could do this. And, yeah. Uh, you know. For sure. But then, yeah, you guys go to Hawaii and completely influence, you know, someone who's now influencing others with Russian circles and, and uh, these arms are snakes. Like, Brian's got a huge following for everything he does, but it's from Fugazi going to Hawaii that started that, you know, and it's so cool to see that. I mean, I could send you a list after this of the bands that have said hundred percent. I would not play music if it wasn't for Fugazi. Oh, that's very sweet. And, uh, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta feel great, you know, having that legacy. But I, I also want to talk about what you're doing now with film. I mean, you've and you mentioned Eddie Vedder, you did a uh, documentary for Eddie Vedder, correct? With, with, uh, yeah, we did. We did. We we um, Christoph. I have a partner, Christoph Green, and we have a, a production company called Trixie uh-huh. Film. Um, and uh, yeah, you can actually look if you look at trixiefilm dot com. You should you could find some of this stuff up there. Just there are snippets of it, anyways. Um, but yeah, we went out. Um, how the hell did it start? Oh, well, we. Yeah, I, well, we did. We did. We made a a, a film of his uh, solo acoustic stuff, uh-huh. uh, which is like um, the end of the wild soundtrack stuff. Yes. So he he was going out with mostly a ukulele and playing in front of all these people, and and I was like, you know, you should document this. And so he brought us out for a few shows, and we put it together, and it came out. Uh, it's called Water on the Road. Um, and, you know, we went out, we actually went to Hawaii and hung out with him out there and filmed him doing stuff out there and playing, playing songs up in the mountains and stuff. <laughs> it was a to- it was totally great. I loved it. But, um, the, um, yeah, and some of that you should, yeah, you should check it out at some point. There's some, it's, and there's so much great footage that just didn't make it in that movie. And it ended up, it ended up just being kind of like a live performance film that I was like really initially meant to be, you know, this sort of grand portrait of Eddie that revolved around his, um, you know, his uh, dealing with fame and all this stuff. We have had this whole other narrative going and he was like, no, let's just make it a performance film. (laughs) Okay. Take the juicy stuff out of it. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, exactly. But it was really, you know, he's a great, he's he's an incredible person, an incredible subject. To be honest, we we just had such a such a great time making that. But we um, we've done we've done a lot. So we did a lot. I also worked on filming some shows for that PJ Twenty movie. Okay, yeah, uh, I saw that. I saw that on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember if it was Netflix or what, but. 
Um, yeah, it's. Um, I mean, mostly we went up and they were shutting the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Uh huh. Last band to play the Spectrum. The Spectrum is like in the on the East Coast, like one of the pillars of like <laughs> of rock. I mean, like every <laughs> it was just the, it's just the craziest. You hear the craziest stories that came from the Spectrum in terms of like you know. Whipping batteries at the opening band during Aerosmith shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the magical moments that yes. Philadelphians put in their music. Um, so we went up there and, and did some interviews with some of the people who were shutting that place down, who, who had worked there since the 60s and like the first promoters there and stuff. And then we filmed Pearl Jam on two nights um, playing uh, the last bunch of songs so some of that made it in a couple songs i think it's how they closed the movie uh pj20 i can't remember right now but um um and then we've done a ton with wilco because i was like you know a huge wilco fan really yeah. stemming from my love of nels klein um he when he joined the band actually before he joined the band but during um yankee hotel foxtrot and and the ghost is born i started going to see them and saying, wow, these guys are, you know, really doing what I love, which is, you know, smashing up, um, writing good, writing good lyrics, but also like smashing up little, like taking like Americana music and putting a bunch of noise over it. Sure. <laughs> so I, I started to really love them. And then uh, Nels got into it. And then at the time, Christoph and I were doing this series called Burn to Shine, where we would go find a house that was going to be demolished We'd go into it, we'd bring in 10 bands, we'd film all the 10 bands, and then we'd, um, and then we'd, you know, then we'd film the demolition of the house. And like at the, at the front end, we would like, um, tell the story of the house and, and about the person who kind of curated the day and, uh, and of the scene a little bit. And then we would pretty much just run the bands through it while focusing some on some of the architecture of the house. And then we would demolish the house. So it, it was, it was, you know, it worked as like a time capsule. It also worked as like, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, sort of like a parable about how temporary these amalgamations of bands are, you know, or yeah, people that's are. That's fascinating. Yeah, so we did six of those. Uh, we did one. We did DC. Then we did Chicago. Um, you know, Bob. I we did one in DC with like the Evens and mm-hmm. you know, Russell and Ted Leo and somebody. Like that. And then we and then Bob Weston got hold of it. He's like, let's do one up here. And we're like, oh, okay. And you know, I just and we just went up there. And so that one, a lot of it's on the internet. But we got uh, Shellac did it and uh, oh, Wilco. Yeah. Wilco did it and. So if you if you go on the sh- on the YouTube, I'm sure you can type in. I mean, um, the Schlack song is "Steady as She Goes," and uh, if you just type in "Steady as She Goes" and "Burn to Shine," I'm sure that clip is up there. And the same, and the Wilco version is is "Muzzle of Bees," and so that that's up there too. And okay. I'm sure there. And it's and so. I I sent it to Wilco, you know, it was nice to come, and they all crammed in a room, and we shot it, and it it looked, and it came out really well. I mean, number one, they were amazing at the time. Sure. um, So we we sent it to them, and they're like, oh, this is great. Will you do this and this and this? And so we just ended up, like I did 
like with Eddie, I did a, a live, uh, or Christoph and I did a tour down the West Coast with uh, Jeff Tweedy. We did his solo acoustic thing down mm-hmm. the West Coast. And that came out as a film called Sunken Treasure. And then, um, and then they had us do, then we booked a tour through some of the, like, Kane's Ballroom and the Ryman Theater and some of the, like, you know, some of the great old buildings of the South. Um, and we filmed them and we called that, that's called Ashes of American Flags. And it was just a way to like juxtapose, you know, their Americana thing with, with their manipulation of the form and, and offset them in that way. So that, so that, that did pretty well. And we, we actually took that around to festivals and, People, people seem to like that. And then we've done films for, like, live films for Decemberist, Death Cab for Cutie. I mean, we've done, you know, a few other ones. Um, so, yeah, it was... Uh, and now, you know, the last few years, we've been working on this documentary called The Liberation, which is actually not a music documentary. It's about this program here in D.C. that um, teaches uh, ex-felons and and ex-drug addicts how to cook. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) So we went in and embedded ourselves in this um, program for three months every day and uh, filmed the, and we came up with the narratives of these uh, three primary characters, um, which basically show like the other side of DC, you know? So, and that's just a, we just finished it. I'm actually just submitting it to the festivals starting right now. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. You should uh, this. I'm in my head. I'm picturing doing a burn to shine for the next Foo Fighters uh, Sonic Highways, you know, installation. Take them around and do that, but do the same band in different cities, in different houses, maybe or something like that. You know, if if it's something that's going to continue. But um, yeah, well, I want to. That's an interesting concept. I, yeah, I'm I'm trying to. I I always would love to do more burn to shine. You know what the biggest pain in the ass of burn to shine was? Is finding the house that you can demolish. And we we used to prefer to burn the house down. Come to Portland. <laughs> Come to Portland. I've got entire I've got entire neighborhoods you, that are available. I don't think they're gonna let you motherfuckers have matches anymore. <laughs> But Portland, every house, every other house is literally condemned from either being a meth lab or whatever else, or just you know, the, there's entire streets that are now just just lawns. That's it. Really? It's insane. Oh yeah. Insane. Well, we actually did one in Portland. Okay. We did. So you could. Be, it's a, it's free for all over here. <laughs> yeah. We did it out in Tualatin. Actually, it's this totally weird house, like a suburb, very suburban house. Oh yeah, Tualatin. Absolutely. Yeah. You, yeah. Only guy, chain restaurants and and a uh, couple schools and that's it. And they were yeah, it was like out on the. It's like a kind of like a weird like McMansion that this guy was going to tear down to build a bigger McMansion. Uh-huh. And it, the whole scene was super weird. But everybody and we got a ton of great bands out. I mean, Thermal did it. Plater Kenny did it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that that one should be up there too. Oh, the gossip is okay. awesome. And, yeah. Yeah, there's M. Oh, the December, yeah, the December's the Shins. It's like all those bands did it. So it was, it was such a great day, and we were like, we walked in, and the guy was like, "You're gonna wait. You're gonna do what?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> he thought we were playing a benefit 
for the firefighters in his driveway. And I'm like, no, 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 we're in, like, we're going to come in and play in your living room. And then we're going to burn your house down. <laughs> and then luckily his daughter was a big Shins fan. Okay. And she's like, she's like, she's like, dad, just shut up. Like, let him do it. Like, he's, he's like shrugs and walks away and while 70, 75 people show up. Oh my God. <laughs> it was really good. Anyways, and that one burns real good, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> that, that ending, the ending sequence of, of the house burning down is really awesome. Dude, so, that's hilarious. Yeah. Have you heard, uh, going back to Nils Klein real quick, uh, have you heard Big Walnuts Yonder? No. Okay, so he's in a band with my buddy Mike Watt and Nick Reinhardt from Terramellos called Big Walnuts Yonder. And they oh, are wow. fantastic. Um, they just put out a record that they recorded back in 2015. But you should definitely check it out. It's really interesting. I, I'll check it out for sure. Yeah, it's ring. It rings a bell a little bit. Yeah, I'm actually. I'm actually. Um, well, I'm going to have to go pretty soon. Yeah, but I wanted yeah, yeah. to. I'm going to uh, shamelessly plug my new band. Please do. Uh, it. Which is, um, I uh, I play with this guy Anthony Parag, who's like very kind of Nels Klein in a lot of ways, and that he's like in he's like an insane player, but he's also like just really creative and super into noise and all this stuff. So we have, we're, so he and I, and then Joe Lally is back from Rome. So it's the three of us okay. are playing and we're starting to play out. Um, we played a few times here and we're actually about to finish up our record and it should be out on discord in February. Oh, fantastic! Um, and it's called the Mesthetics. Um, so that's that'll and we're actually we'll, we'll be playing I guess we're out playing a few shows with Pinback. We'll be up in uh, uh um in a couple of weeks out in Asheville or right, in Nashville, Atlanta and North Carolina. I don't know when this will get air. And then we're gonna then I'm gonna be up in uh in the New York, up at St. Vitus in New York on uh, December fifth. Okay. And we're just gonna start so we'll be out on the road in the spring time. Excellent. You'll be hitting Portland? Uh, yeah, I hope so. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see it, man. Definitely hit me up if you're coming this way. I'd, and, oh, for uh, sure, yeah. I'm gonna be. Yeah. I've got some videos to check out now. This is gonna be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me know what you think. Um, I will. I'm. Yeah, and um, is there? Yeah, anything? And oh, and uh, anything? Is there anything else that you? Uh, well, I'll tell you the other two things that I don't know when you're gonna put this out. Really soon? Uh, it it'll be up in three weeks. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm backing up Daniel Johnson here in D.C. in really? a few weeks. Yeah, and that's going to be kind of amazing. Same band. Yeah. So Joe, Lally, Joe Lally and Anthony Prague, and then Anthony Slice is an amazing cellist, Janelle Leppin. Um, so, yeah, we're learning learning the catalog of Dude, Daniel Johnson stuff. That's a fascinating cool. catalog. And oh, my God. How cool much do I love on. I love that catalog. So yeah. I love his songs so much. Like they're just so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah. And then I have, I have another duo, super silver haze with this guy, Doug Kalmeyer, and we've been playing around a bunch. And then, um, that's about it. Okay. And then scoring stuff. I got a film coming out on Serpico, Frank Serpico called Serpico. That's coming out in theaters that I did the soundtrack for on November 1st. So that'll be, yeah, so keep an eye out for that. That'll be actually. I'm sure that'll play in in Portland. Okay. It's got it's got really good distribution, and uh, so I did that soundtrack, and it's, I'm super happy about that one. 
Excellent. The I'll keep my that's the majority of the projects I have going on. Okay. Although there's a there's also a Vice special on right now, or a Vice thing called Disarray that I also did the music for that's on HBO right now. Oh, excellent. Okay, yeah. I can check that out tonight. That's... Check that out. All right, that's my sh- I'm done shamelessly plugging <laughs> all the shit I'm doing right now. Man, well, Brandon, dude, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and this has been, I mean, I feel like I gained a lot from this conversation, and I, I'm i glad I could bring up the pedal thing to you for Fugazi, something you haven't heard yet. I'm glad, that's that's a win in my book. You know, being, you know, talked about and interviewed so many times, you know, every which way but Sunday, an original idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. It got me to think about my own band for a minute. Yeah, there. sit with that and see what happens, but... Uh, well, Man, thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, I'll email you all the details and everything else And uh, um, when everything's coming out and, and all that. I'll put all this stuff in the show notes for people to check out these various projects, and I'll do that myself. And, and uh, have a great day, man. I really appreciate it. My, my pleasure completely. All right, Brendan. All right. Take care, brother. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brendan Canty from Fugazi. That was a good one. I was so excited about that one and had a great time. It was super early in the morning, but it was absolutely worth it. I'm up that early anyways, but, you know, being able to record mobily really helps uh, to be able to fit interviews in where I can, and and, uh, that one was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, we hope to see you back next week for another great episode. Uh, Definitely check us out on purepleasurepodcast.com. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, go to the Patreon right now. Go to patreon.com slash Podcast and sign up. Whether it's two bucks a month, whether it's a hundred bucks a month, everything has a, has a uh, package with it. And, you know, whether it's just supporting the show or supporting the show and getting some cool shit, definitely check it out. Patreon.com slash Podcast. Go check it out right now. I can't wait to hear or to see you guys next week with another new episode. And uh, we got some good stuff coming up, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. So, as usual, we'll see you on the radio. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with guests about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of The Offspring, Thrice, Rancid, Rise Against, and more. Listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com.